Hello and welcome to This Is Modern Rock. I'm Will Westerkow and I'm back for a very special bonus episode. To help me out is Orly. Welcome, Orly. Hey, how's it going? It's going great. How are you? I am doing well. Excited to be here on the final episode of season three. Yeah, we made it. Yeah. It took a while. <laughs> uh, what do you mean? Uh, apologies for that year-long hiatus mid-season. Hey, sometimes things happen. Sometimes things happen. Yeah, that's right. I do want to say a couple things before we get started. First of all, following this episode, we are going on a scheduled hiatus, but it will not be too long. I expect to be back with the 1991 season at the start of the new year. Awesome. And the other thing is, I just wanted to give a shout out to all my listeners. I've had some really nice letters, people writing in saying uh, that they like the show asking questions, in a few cases, making corrections, which is great. What are some glaring errors? For instance, did you know <laughs> that the Connells is actually pronounced the Connells? The Connells. That's right. I did not know that. Yeah. Is Connells like a Southern pronunciation? I don't know. The other thing is, I just wanted to do a quick request for anyone who is listening, who is enjoying the show, it would be really great if you could leave us some kind of feedback or review on iTunes. That would be amazing. You don't have to write a message. You can just click on some stars, however many you like. The more, the better, I suppose. Yeah, the more, the better. Yeah. But that would be really helpful in getting this podcast out there and, and making it more searchable on iTunes. Thank you ahead of time for that. Should we talk music? Yeah, let's get into it. As you know, this show listens to four songs every week or every episode, and there are a lot of songs that appear on the charts that we do not get to listen to. I wish we could hear them all. <laughs> you know what? I do hear them all. I really do. Um, and <laughs> Are you taking some for the team there? I'm taking a few for the team. Uh-huh. So according to my count, there were 181 songs that peaked on the modern rock charts in 1990. How high does the modern rock chart go? It's a top 30 chart at this point. Got it. How many have we listened to? 12 times four. We've heard 48. So, yeah. you know, roughly... Some math. Mm -hmm. A good <laughs> chunk. <laughs> a sizable amount yeah. of these songs. <laughs> All right, let's talk some numbers. I myself love statistics, and I hope that some of you listeners do as well. I do. So if I had to declare a winner of the Modern Rock Charts in 1990, I'd say there's two possible contenders here. One of them would have to be Peter Murphy, whose song Cuts You Up spent the most time on the charts at 18 weeks and the most time at number one with seven weeks. I would not have guessed that, but cool. The other possible contender would be Depeche Mode. Uh-huh. They managed to put five different songs on the modern rock charts this year. Okay. An impressive feat. Yeah. Now, no one put four songs, but there were actually seven different bands to put three songs on the modern rock charts okay. this year. You ready for this? Yeah, I guess. Here we go. The Stone Roses. Okay. Social Distortion. No. The Pretenders. Okay. Midnight Oil, Michael Penn, The Cure, and Concrete Blonde. Wow. That was a very gothic list, though. Was it? I don't know. Concrete Blonde and The Cure and who was in the beginning there earlier Those uh, well-known goths, Michael Penn. Okay, and, whatever. Uh, Social D. I don't know anymore anything, okay? <laughs> okay, here's an, here's an easier game. You ready? <laughs> you can play along at this home. This is like Fox and Socks over here. <laughs> So, if I counted correctly, there were nine different countries oh, no. who had artists to peak. 
Can you name five of them? Yeah. Okay. okay. Definitely United States. Yes. England. England, yes. Ireland. Yep. Australia. Yep. Scotland. That's five. Nice job. Who else? The other Where countries else? were Canada. Okay. That was going to be my next one. Wales, New Zealand, and Belgium. Oh, look at that. Way to go, Belgium. <laughs> Got one on the charts. One country that doesn't speak English. Yeah. Okay, a couple more statistics. We're almost done here. Okay. So I was interested in the number of women who were rocking it out on mm-hmm. the charts this year. And it turns out that 18.8% of the bands have a female lead singer or co-lead singer. Too low. Too low indeed. Boo. Unexpected? Not no, really. No, not then. At that time, no. But still too low. Yeah. Yeah. Definitely. I'd like to see it as it progresses. I feel like, especially like 95, mm-hmm. I mean, my alternative station was very lady heavy and I loved it. Right. I'm expecting that number to go up, mm-hmm. but we'll see. That's why I brought it up. Yeah. We no, cool. Track progress. Mm-hmm. All right. That's my stats. Right on. All right. Sometimes when you're on the show, we talk about trends that we uh-huh. thought we saw. Uh-huh. And one really big trend that I noticed in 1990 was that there were a lot of cover songs. Oh, okay. Uh-huh. Like my first instinct was that the large number of cover songs is symptomatic of people running out of ideas in much the same way that everyone complains about movies all being sequels or remakes uh-huh. or reboots of something. Uh-huh. Is that true? I'm not sure because if we go back to like the 60s, there were all ton- tons of covers all Everybody the time, was everywhere. Everything covering each other constantly and like immediately. Right. So maybe it was that, but maybe I think a lot of these songs were put out on compilations of some kind, whether they were a fundraising mm. album or whether they were a tribute album. So I think maybe there was just a big market for those types of CDs mm-hmm. at the time. I love covers. I'm glad you love covers because here's what we're going to do. We're going to play another game. Mm-hmm. I'm going to play a clip. Okay. And you get points for guessing what the song is. Okay. Who the artist is, who's covering it. All right. And Wait, who's covering it or who did it originally? Both. Okay. Okay. So what do you want? You get five points for the song. Oh my goodness. Five points for the covering artist. Uh-huh. And if you get all three. You get 25 points. 25 points. Okay. Sounds good. Yeah. You can all play at home. <laughs> You ready for Against this? Against me. Here you go. One quick thing. I'm not going to be playing U2's cover of Night and Day because we played that last episode. Uh-huh. I didn't want to rehash. Sure. So we're going to hear some new stuff. Okay. Here we go. I'm free. That's it. Five points. <laughs> Original artist. Wait, is it the Rolling Stones? It's the Rolling Stones. Okay, so, yeah, so who was that that we were just listening that to? That was the Soup Dragons. I would never have guessed that. No. No. All right, here's the next one. I only get 10 points. I mean, I know that this is Al Green. Nice. Here I am, baby. Take me. Here I <laughs> close am. Close enough. Here I am. Come and take me. That's right. <laughs> Could you figure out the the band that was doing the cover based on like the drum sound? I mean, it was and reggae. The, there you go. Is Li- it limits it. Ziggy. <laughs> <laughs> we have listened to some Ziggy Marley before, but yeah, no, we have. no, no. Can you think of any other modern rock artists that might uh, have that reggae oh, influence? Yes, UB40. That's it. Twenty-five <laughs> points. Nice. You did it. All right. 
Here we go. Oh, where have you been, my blue-eyed son? Oh, where have you been, my darling young one? Uh, is it a Bob Dylan song? Yeah. Nice guess. <laughs> good job. Was that just totally off the top of your head? You don't know that one? I don't know that one. Well, good it, job. it seemed Bob Dylan-y and it's like, you know, beauty of lyrics yeah. and the way she enunciated a little bit. Sure. But I don't know who that is. That was Edie Brickell and the New Bohemians. Oh, wow. I really liked her voice. Sounded good there. All right. How many points do you have? I forgot. Uh, 10, 25. 45 points. Is that right? We just have to give you some number of points so that the people listening can compete with you. Okay. Yes. Here we go. The next one. Strawberry Fields. Strawberry Fields forever. forever. Mm-hmm. It's a Beatles song. And I don't think you're going to guess the artist. This is a band called no. Candy Flip. No. No. Okay. Mm-hmm. So. 10 points. 10 again. points. It's good. This next one is one I had never heard before, and I've never heard of the original artist. So good luck there. But. Oh. Orly, you might pick up five points. You might be able to recognize <laughs> the, uh, the band. The band. Yeah. Uh-huh. Here we go. That was Mazzy Star. Oh, I was going to say Mazzy Star, but then I was like, no way, because... It I, seems super early for Mazzy yeah. Star. Yeah. Yeah. So that was Mazzy Star covering a song called Blue Flower, originally by a band called Slap Happy. Mm. Let's get it a little bit easier here. Okay, this one I know finally. Yes, this is an easier one. It's The Cure singing Hello, I Love You by The Doors. Ding, 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 ding. 25 yeah, points. thank you. Here we go. Everybody knows the dice are loaded. Everybody rolls with the fingers crossed. Everybody knows that the war is over. Everybody knows that the good guy's lost. I think you know that. I do know <laughs> this one, too. That's Concrete Blonde doing Everybody Knows by Leonard Cohen. Are you at 100 points already? I don't. I think You've so. got a lot of points. Yeah. Let's keep going. We've got two more. Okay. That's a Social D doing Ring of Fire by Johnny Cash. Nice. You're on a roll. All right. Finally. That's Raspberry Beret by Prince Mm -hmm. as done by, is this someone I've heard of? You might recognize the band, but not the singer. How about that? Tell me. That's a band called the Hindu Love Gods. Okay. Which is R.E.M. minus Michael Stipe. Oh, really? Yep, that's right. So I thought it was R.E.M. Okay. I fully did. You you should be guessing. You should have said. You I get, know, but I don't want to like use up my guess. You get no points for guessing after the fact. I know. You're you're kind enough. I should just guess. You get the points. <laughs> <laughs> you talked me into it. Wow. All right. Yeah, you got a lot of points. Yeah. Let's pick a number so that we'll know if you won or not. <laughs> 
You got a hundred. You got a hundred and fifteen points. But you're gonna just have to add it afterwards. Those of you at home, did you get more than one hundred and fifteen <laughs> points? Are you a bigger modern rock fan than Orly? I got more than that. Okay. <laughs> Definitely got more than. We'll that. figure it out. Yeah. All right. That was fun. Was that fun? Yeah. I mean, I had fun. Okay. It was a little rocky in the beginning. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe I should have put some easier ones up front. That's okay. Speaking of Prince. Okay. The first band we're going to listen to got their name from a misheard lyric from Raspberry Beret. Oh. <laughs> I mean, when I was listening to that, I mean, the, lyrically, I was thinking, okay, this is John Cougar Mellencamp. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to play the part of the Prince song where the misheard lyric is. You tell me what lyrics you hear. Okay. One more time. Well, they thought he, they, he said lightning seeds. Yeah, what does it sound like to you? I can only hear that now. Thunder drowns out with the lightning seeds. What does he actually say? He says what the lightning sees. Sees. Sees, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, we're going to listen to the lightning seeds. Okay. Yeah. Do you know this band? I mean, I've heard of them. This band is really just one guy. Okay. Ian Brody. And the lightning seeds were formed in 1989. So this is his first album. Yeah. Uh, But he's been around for a while at this point. He was formerly in the band called Big in Japan. (laughs) (laughs) And Big in Japan is a really interesting band because while it was not particularly successful, a bunch of members of the band went on to do Mm. really cool things. Mm -hmm. And I'm not going to talk about that right now. I'm going to talk about that the next time we hear from the Lightning Seeds when they hit number two. Okay. Let's talk about Ian Brody. Uh In addition to being a solo artist with the Lightning Seeds, he also was a producer and he produced albums for Echo and the Bunnymen, Wall of Voodoo, and The Fall. And his biggest song in the United States is the one we're going to hear today right now. It's called Pure. Okay. Yeah, it was actually a top 40 hit in the US. It reached number 31 on the Hot 100. Yeah. It reached number eight on the Modern Rock Charts in May of 1990. And it was the first single from the Lightning Seeds debut album, Cloud Cuckoo Land. Uh, I want to hear. Let's hear it and then and then we'll reminisce. Okay. Here it is. Pure. Picture the moon glow dazzles my eyes. And I love you. Just lying smiling in the dark, shooting stars around your heart. Dreams come bouncing in your head. I love hearing things through like fresh ears and by fresh ears, I mean an older, wiser perspective. Yeah. And also headphones. And headphones. Yes. Musically, I love that song. I think it's super fun. Yeah. I never really as closely listened to the lyrics. I knew Mm -hmm. some of the lyrics as a younger person. And to me, I thought it was supposed to be like a romantic song. But like when I listen to it now, it sounds like bossy and possessive. Oh, really? And I'm like, hmm. Run, girl, run. (laughs) (laughs) What about it made you feel that way? I don't know. Why does he say like that whole, now you're crying in your sleep? I wish you'd never learn to weep. Oh, yeah. You know, like why is she upset? And then he tells her your dreams should be pure and simple all the time. 
Mm-hmm. And I'm like, first of all, don't tell me what my dreams you think should he's, be. He's too controlling. Yeah. <laughs> tell me what my dreams. Oh, pure and simple. Thanks. Okay. <laughs> I mean, sure. To me, I, it really feels like the kind of lyric that, let's say, as a 15-year-old dreaming about my crush or whatever, I could like connect to on this emotional level where the lyrics like really don't mean anything but there's like enough image there to like right well he says the word like star and starry exactly it's kind of uh over and over it's a trick that i think oasis pulled with their lyrics very successfully (laughs) a few years later just like talk about the sunshine a lot Mm -hmm. and it sounds really meaningful and (laughs) and cool and i'm not really knocking that stuff i mean i I love oasis and I, i think this is a really great song me too but here's the thing that guy is not 15, mm-hmm. but he's what, 23? No, at th- no. He's, at, at this point, I think he's like 32, actually. Okay. He, then he's embarrassing himself because like <laughs> mentally, he's 15. You think that the lyrics are too pure and simple for someone his age? Yeah. Okay. I do. Like, am I being ageist? Maybe. It's- I mean, how do you feel about Iggy Pop? Are you embarrassed for him every time he shows up on the charts? No. I'm not embarrassed for this guy. I'm just like, no, thank you on your personality. (laughs) (laughs) All right. I mean, and your vision of what love is. All right. Sure. (laughs) Now, maybe after one pass, we're misinterpreting the lyrics. If anyone really knows what this song is about, feel free. Let us know. Okay. Well, you know, like the song is like a sonnet in the sense that it's definitely like being sung to someone about Mm -hmm. love, Mm -hmm. loving them. Right. And do I want to be the recipient of this? Come on. He's got stardust in his head. (laughs) (laughs) Sounds like he's on cocaine. Mm. (laughs) Anyway, that's my take on on what's this guy? Oh, yeah. The Lightning 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 Seeds. seeds, Yeah. Great song, The Lightning Seeds. Yeah. Now, if there are American listeners who know The Lightning Mm -hmm. Seeds, that is very possibly the only song of theirs that they mm-hmm. might know. They did not hit the Billboard Hot 100 ever again. But in England, this is definitely not their biggest hit. Uh-huh. The Lightning Seeds yeah. have a huge song in England called Three Lions. Uh-huh. And this is a soccer-themed or football-themed song, uh-huh. which in various incarnations has charted in the UK like 10 times i counted to 10 and then stopped keeping track it was so many times (laughs) hitting the charts and it hit number one on the uk charts in 1996 1998 and 2018 yes so every few football seasons it's like every peaks again when this team is doing well exactly top of the charts last year it hit number one for the third time Uh, (laughs) (laughs) i love it yeah let's keep going yeah the second band we're going to hear is a band called the Cave Dogs. Uh-huh. And they... <laughs> <laughs> What's so funny about Cave Dogs? I don't know. I just picture like well, four guys in a room together. What should our band name be, guys? And there's like a few in and they're tossing around ideas and someone says, Cave Dogs. They're like, yes! I like it. Is that it? Or is it Mouse Rat? <laughs> Rat mouse. Rat mouse, yeah. Should it be dog cave? <laughs> no. <laughs> dog cave. Cave dogs. Actually, you know, like, at first I was just picturing some dogs who live in a cave, but when you started laughing, I was picturing, like, 
the caveman equivalent of dogs. Me too. Oh, you are? They're like wearing a, a leopard skin. No, they're just like more wild and feral. They're like oh. wild dogs. Oh, I was actually picked. They got like a big club and they're like dra- <laughs> dragging their... No. Like Mr. Peanut Butter? It'd be like if Mr. Peanut Butter met the Flintstones. <laughs> it would be like that. That's what I mean. Yeah. yeah. Yes. <laughs> That's ridiculous. <laughs> All right, so the Cave Dogs formed in Boston in 1987. I guess they're a power pop band, but they've got uh, like a little bit of a heavier edge. Like they sound to me kind of They like, live in a cave. Of course they have a heavier of, edge. Well, of course. It's If you didn't know that this was 1990 when you hear the song, uh, you I'll might- i say grunge band. Yeah, you might- or Grunge or post-grunge. Yeah, I yeah. would say like a post-grunge band. Uh-huh. They remind- Well, we can talk about it after we hear the song, but- Okay. Anyway, they've been described as an important band in the Boston scene- all right and they had a local hit with baba ganoush (laughs) off of this same album their debut album 1990s joy rides for shut-ins yeah and we're gonna hear a song called leave me alone and it reached number 17 on the modern rock charts in september 1990 it was their only song to ever reach the modern rock charts and that's one of the reasons why i wanted to spotlight this band in this song this is our one chance to get to hear them and i actually own this album i think it's pretty cool talking it up talking it up yeah here we go this is the cave dogs with leave me alone there is one thing That song is weird. <laughs> what do you mean? In what way? It's trying to be five different songs all at once. Yeah, the verse and the chorus are are very different. They're yeah. really different. Yeah, but I th- I feel like they flow together nicely. In fact, coming out of the chorus, I really like the way it drops uh, yeah. down into that. It moodier. does. It. Yeah. I do too. It was just so weird. It was like a, it's kind of a roller coaster ride. Mm-hmm. You have to keep track of it. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't have that much trouble, but I've heard the song a lot too, so. Yeah, there was a lot I liked about it. I liked that moody beginning stuff, but then it kind of reminded me of like that early 2000s, like heavier alternative rock that started to get popular. Like what? Oh, like Papa Roach. Oh, really? Yeah. Or like those bands, like pod and like really yeah i mean i feel like the guitars are a little heavier than your standard power pop yeah but but i i wouldn't have gone that heavy no no i could just see them as being like the beginnings of that kind of it does feel a little darker than a lot of power pop does definitely and the whole overarching vibe was sad Mm mm-hmm it was like a real like downer, like a black cloud over the song. Really? Yeah. Interesting. Like even when it got to the chorus, still sad. It could just maybe like it's in a real minor key yeah. or something. But like I felt like the singer is sad. Well, he's saying leave me alone. I mean, he's clearly not happy about something. Yeah. <laughs> he's not happy for so, sure. Somebody's bothering this guy. Yeah. Yeah. I can see how this band and this song could get kind of lost in the mix. It totally but like songwriting wise, and especially the layering, I mm-hmm. think the, the arrangement was really cool. Yeah. 
And I liked that the song kept me on my toes. So the Cave Dogs, they managed to tour with the Dead Milkmen and uh-huh. the Connells uh-huh. <laughs> and the Replacements, among others. So they did pretty... I could see them with the Replacements. Sure. I mean, it seems like a good fit. Uh-huh. Um, they did pretty well for themselves there. They released a second album in 1992, but it did not sell as well uh-huh. as hope. They were dropped by their label shortly thereafter, and the band broke up. Uh-huh. Um, so they really maybe missed out on an opportunity to mm-hmm. get a little more successful when a lot of bands that sounded kind of like this were really blowing up. Right. In what, 93, 94, 95? Yeah. yeah. Uh-huh. Here's something you're going to love, though. <laughs> so the various band members did go on to join some other bands. The most visible appearance by a band member, though, was drummer Mark Rivers, who made multiple appearances on the TV show Parks and Recreation as the drummer for the band Mouse Rat. Oh, really? That's right. (laughs) What? Or Rat Mouse, if you prefer. (laughs) Did you have that tidbit waiting in the wings? I did. I did. (laughs) That was not planned. That's amazing. No. Should we keep going? Yeah. 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 Clearly, I am a fan of power pop. It's a genre I love. Yeah. So yeah. Uh, I picked another power pop band. I mean, this podcast is all about you. That's true. Yeah. I mean, that's, <laughs> that's the thing. This, this podcast is called Number One Hits and Songs That Will Westerkow Enjoys. <laughs> right. Um, so I picked another power pop band who is also making their only modern rock chart appearance. Okay. And this band, I think, is a little more well-known than the Cave Dogs, but still not as well-known as I think they should be. And the band is called Red Cross. I've heard of Red Cross. Yeah. You've heard, yeah, you've, you've heard of Red Cross, but yeah. they're not, I would say, commonly known. No. I mean, I couldn't like give you a rundown of their best songs. Can you picture their faces, though? No. Can you picture their hair? It better be red. <laughs> Just kidding. Are you thinking of Criss Cross? <laughs> no. Okay. So uh, Red Cross, they were, they've been around for a while. They were formed in the late 70s as a band called The Tourists. And then they later changed their name to Red Cross, as in like the color red and a cross. Mm -hmm. But the international Red Cross threatened to sue them. (laughs) So they added a D and they changed the C to a K. Uh And then Red Cross, apparently a little spelling switcheroo and and you're good to go. Wow. And the band was formed around two brothers, Jeff and Steve McDonald. They put out a number of strange releases throughout the 80s, including an album of all covers. It's like Stooges and Bowie mm-hmm. and Kiss. They put out an album inspired by Saturday morning cartoons and breakfast cereals. Mm-hmm. And they released a couple albums as the Tater Tots uh-huh. of mostly covers, largely Yoko Ono songs. Okay. Makes no sense. No, makes no sense. I cannot figure these guys out at all. Uh, the band was known for their flamboyant, unfashionable outfits. Like they wore a lot of big flared pants and bright colorful clothes and uh, psychedelic prints and floppy hats. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, they look like they were out of a bad British 60s movie, but these uh-huh. guys are American for sure. Oh, re- yeah. Red Cross? Yeah, Red Cross. They're like LA dudes. Okay. So they showed up in a few movies. Okay. In 1984, they appeared in the soundtrack and as actors in a movie called Desperate Teenage Love Dolls. Ooh. Which is a movie about a girl band. Okay. Which I have seen. You've seen that movie? <laughs> I have, yeah. I mean, with a title like that. Yeah, exactly. I saw that title. I couldn't say no. <laughs> 
No, I watched it specifically to catch uh, Jeff and Steve in their acting debut, and uh, it was glorious. Oh, really? Are you serious right now? I've seen it. I can't tell if you're serious. No, I've seen it. Their acting was not good. No. It's one of those things where you kind of cringe. Like one of them plays uh, like a sleazy agent who tries to, you know, seduce a band member and then possibly rape her. Uh, Yeah, some casting couch stuff going on. Mm -hmm. Um, Listen up, cutie. You know what you got to do to get this job. Oh, you've seen it. (laughs) (laughs) All right. They appeared in another movie right around this time called The Spirit of 76. Oh, yeah. I've mentioned before because Devo Devo was also in this movie. Uh And this was about some time travelers trying to go back to 1776, but ending up in 1976. I know. Were you trying to convince me to watch that? Uh, Yeah, I was. (laughs) This is one I have not seen. But I wanted to bring it up because one of the songs on the soundtrack, Uh 1976, is a Red Cross song, <laughs> which also appears on their 1990 album. So many connections. So many connections. Their third studio album as Red Cross called Third Eye. Mm-hmm. And this album, among other things, is notable for featuring a nude, masked 19-year-old Sofia Coppola on the cover. Whoa. Along oh, with yeah, the band. Uh-huh. I don't know what their connection to Sofia Coppola and the rest of the Coppolas are, uh-huh. but the movie The Spirit of 76 was co-written by Roman Coppola. Oh, really? Yeah. Definitely some connection there. Definitely some connection there. It's also co-written by Rob Reiner's brother. Oh, come on. (laughs) All right. Anyway, anyway, we're going to hear the first single from Third Eye. It's called Annie's Gone, and it reached number 16 on the Modern Rock Charts in November of I like that song. Yeah, me too. I that thought was, it was great. That's good. And you know what? If you like the song, you're probably going to like the album. Uh-huh. It's catchy and hook filled and a lot of fun. I don't love this guy's voice. I mean, he's no placebo and I liked placebo, but he's on higher on the wine spectrum mm-hmm. than the ones I really like. You know, like I really like the like deeper the, crooner like the voices. Warmer voices. Yeah. Yeah. I know what you mean. But at the same time, they pull out some nice harmonies. They yeah, sound good they singing do. together. They do. You know, you talked about how dark and sad you felt the cave dogs were. Uh-huh. This is a much happier, upbeat song, but there's still oh, something sinister. crazy about yeah. it. Yeah, it makes you feel a little uncomfortable. It's true. I was going to say there's a real sense of urgency. Mm-hmm. And it's almost like I got the sense we're like in the getaway car. Oh, yeah. You know what I mean? Like, what are we running from? Yeah. <laughs> you know, like. Yeah. Are they chasing down Annie? Or, something. Uh, they're running from the cops because they're responsible for Annie being gone. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. There's something sinister and they've built that tension really well. Now, for those of you who are really deep into modern rock, there's a special surprise for you if you want to watch this video because for a brief time... Red Cross was joined by drummer Jack Irons. Oh, yeah. Of Red Hot Chili Peppers and Pearl Jam uh-huh. fame. And you can see him drumming in the Annie's Gone video. Whoa. That guy gets around. Yeah. Red Cross just put out an album last month, I believe. Mm-hmm. 
They're touring. They're still doing it. They're still on tour. If you want to <laughs> see Red Cross, you should go see them. If you like this song at all, go check them out. All right. The next song we're going to hear is by a band called The Heartthrobs. Uh-huh. This is a British band. They were formed in Reading in 1986. They split up in 1993, so they are no longer around. Mm -hmm. This band was formed by Rose Carlotti, and she brought her sister Rachel in for the first album. And I'm not going to suggest there's nepotism at work, but these sisters happen to be siblings of Echo and the Bunnymen's drummer. (laughs) Okay. Not Echo, the other other Uh drummer, not the drum machine. And I don't know, I th- they're sometimes referred to as like a shoegaze band. I think that's kind of fair. Some of their music sounds shoegazy. Some of it doesn't. Some of it sounds almost like a more 90s version of early bangles to me. I don't know. Mm. But I think it's a pretty good sound. I like mm-hmm. what they're doing. Their first album is called Cleopatra Grip. Mm-hmm. which sounds cool to me. What does it mean? I'm not sure. Until you start looking at their other album titles and then you start figuring it out. It's all about dongs. Well, the second album of theirs is called Jubilee Twist. And in case you didn't get it, the third one is called Vertical Smile. So these ladies have the sense of humor of a 14-year-old boy. Uh-huh. <laughs> anyway, we're going to hear a song called Dream Time. Uh This one actually hit number two in September of 1990. Hmm. The only reason we didn't get to hear it is because in September 1990, there were four number one Mm. hits that month, which crowded everything off. We didn't get to hear Valoria by the Pixies. Oh, yeah. What a weird month. We didn't get to hear Jellyfish's The King is Half Undressed, which is a song I really like. There was a lot of cool stuff we missed out on. Yeah. But I figured, you know what? This song... Pretty cool. Hit number two deserves to be heard. So let's hear it. Heartthrobs, dream time. I mean, there are things I liked about that song, but overall it was like not that memorable to Mm -hmm. me. I know what you mean. That was one that it it was not an immediate grabber. Yeah. But there was something compelling and the more I listened to it, the more I liked it. Yeah. I mean, that too, it also heard this song too, to keep with the theme also has kind of like a sinister vibe. Mm -hmm. She's like, don't worry, close your eyes. It's dream time. Yeah, you're right. The last three have been kind of sinister. And, uh-huh. and you put kind of a sinister twist on, on Pure even, which I thought was one of the, like the happiest, most upbeat major key songs I've ever heard in my life. I guess it was the mood I was in when I was picking songs. I like the interplay between the two singers. So, uh-huh. so the one I'm assuming is Rose is mm-hmm. doing the verses. She's got kind of a deeper yeah. voice. And then the higher voice comes in for the the dream time. Uh-huh. I thought that was neat. Uh-huh. Yeah, it is. It's moody. It's kind of spacey. It's kind of yeah, kind of dreamy, I guess. It is. I mean, it's, you know, kind of Susie Sue, obviously. Sure. Especially when Rose is singing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but it's cool. But yeah, like with Cave Dogs, like, oh, this is good. But there wasn't like a bang factor. 
You mean as far as like seeming like stars, like stand Sta- Just staying power. Sure. You know, Like the Cave Dogs, I think is still a strong album. I think it's a good song. Mm-hmm. But this is another song and album that is not available on Spotify. So mm-hmm. so if you want to hear this one, I guess you got to go on YouTube. Uh, you could track down a copy of the CD like I did. People still have CDs. <laughs> That's right. You are one of those people. That's right. Love my CDs. <laughs> Love CD shopping for out-of-print stuff. (laughs) There's something else I wanted to say about this. What was it? Oh, yeah. Did you catch the Sound of Music lyrical reference? Oh, no. We're tired of these snowflakes on eyelashes and all our favorite things. Oh, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) All right. So I know that was four songs. That's usually what we do. But there's one more song that I, I felt like we had to talk about. So I'm throwing in a bonus song. Okay. There's just too much interesting stuff going on, too many fun facts. And you know, I love a fun fact. Uh, yeah. So we're going to talk about a mysterious band oh. called DNA. And this is featuring Suzanne Vega. Uh-huh. And the song's called Tom's Diner. I didn't know they were a mysterious band. They're mysterious. All right. Who is DNA? I don't know. Yeah. I thought that was her song. We're going to get into that. Tom's Diner by DNA. Uh-huh. Reached number seven on the modern rock charts in October, but that is not the origin of the song. Okay. The song was originally written in 1982 by Suzanne Vega. Right. And she released it in 1987, five years later, Uh on her second album, Solitude Standing. And it appears actually in two forms on that album. Mm -hmm. It is the first track on the album. It is an acapella song. Right. I knew it was originally acapella. And then it's also the last track on the album, and it is an instrumental. Oh, put that together. Let's put that shit together. (laughs) Let's hear a clip from both. Okay. Let's do it. Let's just for fun. Here is the acapella version, first track. That's me. I am sitting in the morning at the diner on the corner. I am waiting at the counter for the man to pour the coffee. And he fills it only halfway. And before I even argue, he is looking out the window at somebody coming in. One of the first things you might notice is that the song does not start with a... Do, do, do. 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 Mm-hmm. Yeah, I just yeah. did notice that. that. Is, that's not a hook. That's not a chorus. That's just an ad lib that she threw in at the end of the song. Ah. The end of this two minute and nine second song. Oh, and then the end she goes... Do, do, do. Yeah, I'll jump ahead. You can hear it. Hold on. And I finish up my coffee and it's time to catch the train. Mm. There it is. And then here's the Tom Steiner reprise. It's kind of weird. It's a weird song to do like, twice and bookend your album with. Yeah. Especially, what was I hearing, Castanets? Yeah, in there. it was like, is that the flamenco <laughs> version yeah. of a Casio keyboard Tom's Diner? Anyway, this song was not a hit. This album did have a hit on it, Luca. Mm-hmm. Now, before I get to the 1990 version, mm-hmm. I do want to say a couple more things. First of all, the song is written about an actual place called Tom's Restaurant, which is in New York City. And this is a famous diner because it was used as Monk's Diner from Seinfeld. 
Mm. <laughs> That's hilarious. So I right, love that. right. Every time we'd see that common shot of the uh-huh. restaurant in the corner, there'd be that bass lick. Yeah, that's it. That's the place. The other thing that's really crazy is that this song, it was used as the test song when they were developing the audio compression format known as MP3s. <laughs> they needed something to test out, make sure that it was compressing correctly and having, I guess, an acapella song what? made it. You could really clearly tell whether the vocals were getting distorted. There's a ton of acapella songs. Sure, there's a ton of acapella songs, but this is the one they ended up using. Who is they? Bill MP3. Uh-huh, exactly. I could look it up. Somebody Sounds somewhere phony. has dubbed Suzanne Vega the mother of the MP3. That's ridiculous. Who calls uh, her that? I don't know. Nobody, Bullshit. Nobody calls her <laughs> All right. Well, the internet says this, so it must be true. Anyway, in 1990, a couple of British record producers Uh took the acapella version from Solitude Standing. Mm -hmm. They added a beat to it from a Soul to Soul song. Mm -hmm. And I've read conflicting things about what song this is. Some people say it is Back to Life. And some people say it is keep on moving. Weird. The website Who Sampled says it's keep on moving. We could just go with them. Yeah. I don't know. Is that the one you say it is? I'm trusting whosampled.com. Uh-huh. Should I trust them? I mean, they know about sampling. All right. So these two British record producers, they grabbed the drum beat from some soul to soul song, mm-hmm. stuck it over there, added a little bit of extra stuff. You know, did mm-hmm. their deal. And they ran that doot doot doo doo all over that song. They did, yes. They took the doot doot doo doos, they put it all over as though it were a hook or a chorus. Uh-huh. And they released it to some dance clubs under the name Oh Suzanne. Whoa. Suzanne Vega's label got word of this. Uh-huh. And rather than sue, they said, Oh, you know what? We'll just take this song and release it ourselves. Uh-huh. Bigger distribution, more money for everybody. But DNA, the producers, Uh they worked out this deal through intermediaries to keep their identity secret. So who are they? I have no idea. It's just someone that works with Suzanne Vega. No, they didn't work with her. They just took her vocals and jammed it onto a track. Mm, So they say. You think it actually is Suzanne Vega. You think DNA is just Suzanne Vega remixing herself. Yeah, she was obsessed with her own song. She put it twice on her album and she still didn't have enough of it. You know what? You're onto something. She's such a perfectionist. She (laughs) was working on it for five years (laughs) between writing it and releasing it. And then she said, still didn't get it right. First two tries, no good. I think she brought someone in and they worked on it together. She collaborated. Okay. Well, this does not say collaborated with. It says DNA featuring Suzanne Vega, which is crazy. That's super weird to me that you can straight up take the vocal track and like throw someone else's beat over it. No, but she has to say it's okay. Sure. Legally speaking. Yeah. Yeah. I just feel like it's a Suzanne Vega song. Is it's that not a fair? Suzanne Vega song, of course. But it's not. It's a DNA song featuring right. Suzanne Vega. It's more like the other way around. Anyway, this was a huge hit. Right. It reached number five on the Billboard Hot 100. It reached number seven on the Modern Rock Charts. It also did something very unusual. It became one of only a very few number of songs to chart on both the modern rock charts and the R&B charts. Whoa. Wait, who else did it? 
I've been trying to find this out. I cannot find any actual list, so I just did a search for artists and tried to come up with likely candidates. Uh-huh. The only other song I could find that managed this feat uh-huh. was Prince's Bat Dance. <laughs> That's right. Bat Dance by Prince and, and Suzanne Vega Suzanne. and DNA, Tom's Diner. On the R&B charts, it's not an R&B song. Well. I mean, it's barely a modern rock song. But it's a dance song. But everyone liked it enough yeah. to play it everywhere on every type of radio. I did too. Yeah, right? Should we play it here yeah. on our radio? Finally. Let's do it. Here is Tom's Diner. That's funny. I'm not going to say I hate it. <laughs> <laughs> Certainly, I think it's really fun lyrically because there's a, an interesting story that you want to uh-huh. listen to and follow along and see what was going on. Almost like a little mystery. Yeah. Um, it's definitely catchy. It's like the biggest earworm of uh-huh. the year. Like <laughs> Part of that is just because it's looping over uh-huh. and over again. But the, the repetition is just too much for me. Yeah. I mean, the song itself, the melody is pretty much the same melody just right. over and over. But the drum sample just going and going. I really need it to mix it up. I need something else going yeah. on with the song. And it's true. You, you know, they took the original length and almost doubled it yeah. for this version. Uh-huh. So I it can. Does. It's too long. When you said it was two minutes, I was like, well, no, that's a long song. But that's because they just yeah. drug it out. It feels long to me. It's long. But I can see why people were into it. I can see why it was a hit. I can see why it's something that people remember. Right. You know? And you're not the only person who loved it. Yeah. This song has lived on in various incarnations. Oh, yeah. In fact, it was so popular that it spawned a tribute album. I don't know if that's the right term. In 1991, Mm -hmm. Tom's album was released. And this featured various versions of the song by Suzanne Vega, but also cover versions songs inspired by Tom's Diner. Whoa. I'm going to play a clip from one of those cover songs. Okay. This is by a band called Bingo Handjob, mm. which, well, let's see if you recognize these guys. Oh. I am sitting in the cafe and the man behind the counter lifts his coffee to his lips and he pours me uh, and he pours me Coca-Cola And the woman at the window bends down And she touches her shoe And she thinks that I am looking at her But I see the train uh-uh. Alright, Bingo Handjob is a side project Or a stage name for R.E.M. and Billy Bragg oh. Playing together So if you want to check that out You can get yourself a copy of Tom's album Or that was actually a B-side to R.E.M.'s Near Wild Heaven single. Oh, that so, right there? Yeah, live version of Tom's Diner, uh-huh. ad-libbing oh. clearly. Right. Michael Stipe did not know all of the lyrics. Uh-uh. All right, you want to hear a few more? Sure. Here is Tupac with Dope Fiend's Diner. I don't know how this works. This was apparently released in 2007. So Tupac, he's that miraculous rapper who just keeps him coming Whoa. decades after his death. Um, but here it is. Late night cooling with my homies Drinking Hennessy and cold brew After smoking, stopping Oakland Got the munchies for some soul food 
first of all, he's drinking cold brew and Hennessy. When Tupac died, no one was talking about cold brew ever. So are they just like piecing words together? I do, like, I do not I know. I bet how that's that got to be what they're doing. Do you think they've uh, got enough Tupac vocals? They can just put it into a computer and now they can make him say whatever they want? Yes. Yeah. And you think they're essentially like, I was going to say auto-tuned, but this was definitely not auto-tuned. This is auto-detuned. I mean, they should just auto-tune it at this point too. But I guess they want it to sound like Tupac. I guess. Yeah. So this song's been covered or is it considered a cover if you just like sing the do-do-do part? Oh, is that all they're doing? Most of these bands that are covering the song or sampling the song are really just inspired by the do-do-do-do's. Um, That's the hook. Yeah. So Destiny's Child used it. Drake's used it. Black Eyed Peas used it. Arctic Monkeys used it. You want to hear a clip of that? Sure. Here we go. Arctic Monkeys with Knee Socks. It's not exactly the same, but they clearly knew what they were doing there. That was drawing on some Suzanne Vega influence. Yes. Uh, you want one more? Yeah. Here we go. This is a big hit from Fallout Boy. This is the song mm. Centuries. Yeah, I I don't even know where to start with that one. It sounds very pop. Oh, yeah. They want the money, you know? You know who's making the money? Suzanne Vega. Is she? With all these covers? You, I know. She's rolling in the, what is it, like royalties or residuals? Yeah, yeah. Suzanne Vega's getting fat stacks off all these bands pulling yeah. some doo-doo-doo-doos. That's her plan all along. I cannot substantiate these rumors that I'm creating, <laughs> <laughs> but she might be the wealthiest modern rock artist <laughs> on the charts. Then or now? Now, thanks to all these samples. But I mean, like the Arctic Monkeys aren't giving her money for that. You don't think so? No. You don't think she got a co-writing credit? No. But she certainly did on that Fall Out Boy song. That's her, isn't yeah. it? I would assume. Yeah, that's a straight up sample. So she gets songwriting credits. You think so? Uh, I know so. I don't know so. But I'm fairly certain that she Samples would. get songwriting credits? They often do, yes. Oh. All right. So that was pretty cool. That's a lot of uh, a Suzanne lot. Vega. That's a lot of Suzanne Vega. It's been absorbed into our culture. Totally. I think that's all the songs we're going to listen to. Oh my gosh. Goodbye, 1990. Yeah, this was it. I think we've heard enough of 1990 to move Put on. That I think year we can, behind yeah, us. we can close the book <laughs> on 1990. And I think we're all excited about 1991. I can't wait to be 11. <laughs> In fact, I know there's some listeners out there who have been anxiously awaiting this next year. It's going to be a big year. It's a big changing year. I think something something big's going down. Yeah. Spoiler alert! It's Nirvana. <laughs> Spoiler alert number two. It happens in November. Oh, I know. It's going to be a while. I guess that's it. Orly, thank you so much for coming on. I uh, had a great time as usual. We heard some pretty cool stuff. Uh-huh. Some uh, slightly obscure stuff. Yeah. But cool some nonetheless. Some sinister, sinister stuff yes. that wasn't ducks. <laughs> that's true. <laughs> there were no ducks here. Um, if you haven't already done so, please leave us some feedback on iTunes or... Write me a message. Send me an email. You can reach me at thisismodernrock at gmail.com. I would love to hear from you. I guess we're taking a little break and hope you all check back in. See you in the new year. In the new year, yeah.
Ring a ding ding. <laughs> That's a no no. <laughs> Boy.